0: So there I was, every day hating the 9-to-5 life, and always wondering if somehow, some way, there was hope to escape. I was always looking for answers, and I seemed to always come up empty-handed. And then I found it. The Travel Like Like a Boss boss podcast. Podcast. Are you just like me? Are you dreaming of being your own boss, but you can't find helpful information that really matters? Guess what? There's hope.
1: Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD.
0: Hey guys, this is Johnny, and welcome to a very special 200th episode of the travel like a boss podcast today i have my co-host alexandra
1: alexandra yes
0: oh i said it right yeah okay very cool and i, I didn't even try your last name what is it
1: bulatskaya
0: alexandra bulatskaya very cool so this episode is going to be a two-part episode the first half we're going to be doing a tribute to anthony brodain and the second half we are going to be doing Listener Q&A's for everybody who's been listening and following the Travel Like a Boss podcast, all these episodes. Uh, a lot of you submitted voice memos or questions kind of all over the internet through Twitter, Facebook, and through email. So we'll be getting to that, to you guys. So this is your episode. Thank you for making this happen. But before we begin, I want to play a clip from Anthony Bourdain, and I want to spend a moment to talk about him.
2: Fellow travelers... This is what you want. This is what you need. This is the path to true happiness and wisdom. For Anthony Bourdain, ever the intrepid adventurer, he took us to parts unknown. No location too remote, no dish too exotic. Eating bugs? That is so last network. But his final destination was tragic. World-renowned chef, best-selling author,
1: award-winning host of Parts Unknown, and our friend, Anthony Bourdain, has died.
2: A hotel room in France where he was filming an upcoming episode of his award-winning CNN show. The part we may never know is why, at age 61, this globe-trotting superstar appears to have taken his own life. He had a dream job. I try to avoid a social conscience. I try to avoid politics. I think that it's. I don't think that I have the gravitas. And he was great at it. I have a, just a sense that I'm a profoundly lucky guy.
0: All right. So, for those who don't know, Ethel uh, Bourdain, he is no longer with us. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to watch any of his shows or read his books, he was really like a, a legend in the travel and food world. Uh, I started watching him before Parts Known. I think it was uh, his show before that, No Reservations. And he, he really inspired me and, you know, really because he was just so authentic. Um, how did you first start following them?
1: Um, I actually watched No Reservations with a couple of my friends on the couch. Um, all of us, we just instantly connected to it because all of us were kind of Immigrants or kids of immigrants, but living in the U.S. and then to see this guy who just really explored different cultures and was curious about them and was, you know, unafraid of, of the food and really experiencing that culture, it really just opened up this whole other universe for us. So um, I was instantly hooked.
0: When you were watching it, did you ever think that you would be living a similar life exploring, you know, parts unknown and having food at these, you know, random places in the world and, you know, really just having a chance to experience some of the things that, that he did.
1: Uh, no, (laughs) absolutely not. Um, I, it's, it's really weird. I don't think of myself as in any way similar to Anthony. So I just take that question as a huge compliment. Um, But no, it's, you know, travel in general, I think it was something that I saw as for an elite class or something for people with a ton of money um, or just something for people who were incredibly brave and just kind of went out there and did things. And and I think for most people, um, especially people in the U.S., it's just sold as something that you know, you do it for two weeks and then you go to your nine to five and that's your travel. Um, And seeing, you know, the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing right now, um, it's still sort of, I still can't really believe it a year later.
0: Yeah. And I think Anthony was really a pioneer where, you know, it's not like, you know, we have award-winning CNN TV shows, but the fact that we're able to go to you know, countries like in Southeast Asia or Eastern Europe, places that kind of are a little bit off the beaten path, and a big part of it is exploring the food and exploring local culture, going to the local markets. You know, eating street food, eating food that we normally probably you know wouldn't be part of a package tour, and it's definitely not part of a normal you know weekend holiday makers um, itinerary. You know, like if you went to Paris with your parents or you went on, you know, some all-inclusive cruise in the Mediterranean, you're not going to wander off into the slums or the, the streets and have food on the side of the road. But I think now, thank and big thanks to people like Anthony, you know, and showing it and, and showing, hey, it's not as dangerous as, you know, as we think. Uh, also, even if we don't speak the language and it's not our culture... It's a great way to connect and and you know and really get a glimpse uh, into their lives.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And it's really I think it's um we all know it's the best way to experience a culture because it's really like you're connecting people with their one of like their most primal urges, really eating good food. It's something we all love. Um and uh, for I know in my experience it's really been you know you you think you know you think you're comfortable because um because you know in my cuisine like we have tripe and kidney soup and other things that probably sound really weird to a lot of people um but to me it was also like anthony really inspired me to push the comfort zone in my travels and really kind of that litmus test of that little shack on the road you know maybe it's not clean but there's a ton of local people there and they think it's good so it must be good so I'm gonna go try it and without without having seen that on no reservations or parts unknown first I'm not sure that I would have had that same reaction
0: I love it and actually you haven't heard this clip yet but this is exactly what Anthony said let's take a listen
2: if there are three pieces of advice that you had to give to people, you must go here, you must eat here. Right. What would those three places? Be, I give people the advice to eat street food. Mm. You know, when you're, if you're, if you're in India, it may not seem like a good idea to eat street food. People ask me all the time, but oh, well, don't you get sick? Yeah. You are much more likely, in my experience and the experience of my crew, we've been doing this for 14 years now. You're much more likely to get sick eating at the hotel buffet. Um, eat what's me. eat what's good and what's beloved locally. If people are proud of their food and they're selling it in the street, that food is for their neighbors. They're, they're, they're not still in business by poisoning their neighbors. Um, so you know, street tacos in uh, in Mexico, uh, street food in uh, in Asia. Uh, these are. These are great and joyous uh, things that, that enable you to actually, you know, experience a culture uh, where it counts. Thoughts?
1: Um, oh, man. It's so bittersweet to hear his voice because it's like so many great memories. Well, memories, not like I was there. But um, but it's just so many. It's just makes you realize he was just such... He was such a pioneer, um, and of course, it's, it's so incredibly sad that he's gone, um, but yes, he's right, and I'm sure that I've seen and heard that clip, um, and I, rem- I even ha- remember that playing in my head, uh, watching certain things, and it's, I remember there was this place on Lombok, It's an island near Bali, and it was this this little uh, restaurant, and they had like food, kind of like New York deli style, you know, little food sitting out. But you can tell like it's busy, people are eating there. And um, I had a friend of mine uh, who I met up with from New York, and I remember she wanted to go to a different, like a hipster, really beautiful cafe. I ate at that cafe the night before, and it's the food was great, but I was just like. I was like, hey, I kind of I want to save money. Let's go here. This place looks cool. And she was like, well, I don't know. The food's been sitting out. She didn't feel comfortable. And for me, I just felt that that's such a huge part of the experience. So I just remember I went to the local place. And they just had, like, this amazing potato pancake thing with turmeric that I've never tried. They had pickles. and And they gave you this little, like, little foil wrapped dish with all kinds of goodies in it. And it's really, I felt like it was just a much more complete meal than I would have gotten at the fancier place. And it was just part of the experience. I mean, how many times in my life, you know, how many times in your life do you get to have Sumatran food? I certainly don't. So I'm not going to miss my chance to try it.
0: Yeah, I I love it. And I know you say you weren't there, but you were. It, you know, you're there in spirit when you're watching a show and you're following along. You know, I think we were all there along with him. And I th- I really believe, and it really comes across in a very authentic and genuine way, when he was there in these places, in these street stalls, tasting food, and he was talking to the camera, I really believe he was talking to us. He wasn't doing it just for the money. He wasn't doing it just for a show. You know, it wasn't like something pre-scripted where he, you know, needed to get, You know, some kind of point across so he could promote (laughs) this random street stall restaurant in the middle of nowhere. He was really just genuinely like wanting to share these cool places, and I actually remember just thinking, "Man, there are so many places in Chiang Mai, Thailand, that I would love to take Anthony Bourdain that I think he would really like." You know, it was this little chicken and rice shop that sells nothing but steamed rice uh, with chicken fat drippings, and the boiled chicken that kind of hangs from it and they also make a soup from the the bones and it's one U.S. dollar and it's amazing you know and there's another place you know that had um, I don't know just like re- like really local street food where the only people that would eat there were construction workers and people that couldn't really afford to eat at the fancier restaurants that had been popping up in that neighborhood and it was only open for a few hours a day and they would leave when they would sell out and the food was never more than a dollar. And I remember just eating there and just thinking, this is the tastiest, most authentic food I can possibly have for any amount of money. And the fact that it was so cheap was really just a big benefit.
1: Yeah, it's really, I mean it's funny because I feel like it makes you relate to the people that are in these places a whole new way. Like before, you know, it's sort of like, oh, it's Chiang Mai, and, um, and people from Thailand live there, and you can go there, and you can look at the temples, but when you taste the food, and when you taste especially that street food that everyday people have, I think you really get a feel for the culture and for who they are. Um, it's funny, in Chiang Mai, I even remember um, there was this soup stand that sold this bone broth and it was they would literally put and you've probably seen that they would put a giant bone in the bowl with like a little bit of meat and noodles and it was this very gamey hearty broth and it was like wow okay this is like this is a culture too where you know even though there's there's so much here um you know, it's still like you kind of have that, you know, that common link of like the soup where people make the best of their ingredients and they really like make this amazing dish out of bones and it was, it was delicious.
0: Well, it's funny that you you bring that up. I would have that dish, that bowl of soup every day at 11 Uh (laughs) a.m. It was my breakfast and it was called soup curadoo. And it took me so long to figure out how to say it because it was something that sometimes wouldn't be on the menu. It would just be something that locals would would order. And funny enough, it's something that people get to share as a group. They would get one bowl and just kind of put it in the middle of the table. And they would just all put their spoons in and kind of just take like little sips of it as almost kind of something to go with whatever else they ordered. Which is so strange. You would never see that in the U.S. ever.
1: I had no idea. That is that is really funny. Um, it's funny because when you travel, you realize how similar we all are. Like if you were in Ukraine right now and the way to kind of, The way you eat here as a family is you do have all these different dishes and each of the dishes serve a purpose. And like the soup, like you always have the soup usually, even when it's summer, if it's like your mom making you a meal, you always have the soups. And it's kind of, it's the same thing there. You know, it's when you go to these places, um, you really kind of experience that, that family
0: life. And there's so many like little things that are so normal in other countries that we don't do in the U.S. and a lot of Western countries don't do anymore, like share food. I think for a lot of people in the U.S., they are appalled if you try to share food with them or give them something that has touched your fork. And it is insane.
1: Yeah, I can't be friends with people who refuse to share their food with me.
0: <laughs> I, I think honestly, I think it's, there's something psychologically <laughs> wrong with someone who is so afraid of germs that they can't share food with a friend you know or family member or even somebody that you're willing to go on a date with if you're willing to kiss somebody and share those germs you need to be able to share a piece of you know chicken with them
1: yeah i mean it's funny because some because sometimes like me and my best friend one of my best friends uh she turned me on to vegetarian food um, and she, uh, she's, uh, her parents are from India originally and like she was, and we were always like, I'm like, Hey, I want to get this dish. You want to get this dish? Like we both want it. Let's get two things and share it. Everybody wins. And I think that's how like we developed our friendship over the food and then her helping me like discover that, for example, vegetarian food can be absolutely incredible, but If you don't have that sharing experience, there's so many things you don't know. And it just kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just nice to have two options instead of one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. I mean, if you're going to go to a restaurant, why would you have just one dish when you can Mm -hmm. try two dishes? And it's just like the variety really is... It's a joy in life, you know, and, you know, bonding through food is a huge part of it. And I think learning about a culture, I I learn more about a culture through their food than I often do, you know, on a tour or, you know, reading a a history book. I really think the food is what, what differentiates cultures and brings people together.
1: Yeah, I think for me, actually, there's a country that I visited on my trip That uh, was in large part, it was Anthony Bourdain's episodes that kind of inspired me to go there. And also a shared um, and a a very kind of uh, not that great history with the U.S. in the past was Vietnam. And I I didn't want to go. I couldn't make up my mind. And then it just hit me. I grew up in San Jose where there was like a pho shop every five feet. And it was amazing. And I was like, I love Vietnamese food. I am in Southeast Asia. I need to go and eat Vietnamese food in Vietnam, and I'm totally serious. One of like the number one reason I went there was because of Vietnam, and because I could kind of look back on on the Anthony Bourdain experience, and you know, and kind of seeing what this country was about now and how it's, you know, it's very welcoming. There's, I can't say, um, enough good things about it. And it, it turned out to be an amazing experience and the food was uh, way better than I ever could have had at home.
0: Yeah. I, I definitely see that. And it's funny that even though there was a big chance that, you know, a lot of people in the world would never like have a connection to Vietnam if there's a Vietnamese restaurant in your city and there probably is now, you know, if you live anywhere major, I think I even had Vietnamese food in Berlin. And actually no, I have, I even had Vietnamese food in Kiev in in uh, in the capital of Ukraine. Really? Yeah, they just opened it and it was in this uh it was in the in a old market. Yeah. It was called the the Babushka market. <laughs> well at least I called it that, which is the grandmother market. The
1: Best Arabian market. That's probably Pavolo.
0: <laughs> But everybody understood when I said the (laughs) Babushka Market. And they opened a pop-up shop in there and it was by far the most popular restaurant that I'd seen. And just because it was different, people were excited to try new food. And it's a connection to Vietnam and Vietnamese people that I guarantee 99.9% of people growing up and living in Kiev and in Ukraine would not normally have. So when they now meet a Vietnamese person or they decide to go traveling and they think about Vietnam instead of having it be, you know, whatever they saw in a war movie. Now they're like, oh, that's where they have pho.
1: Yeah. And it was with Vietnam. um, It's really incredible because there's so much variety. Like uh, speaking of communication through food, I remember me, uh, I went on a bike ride with a friend of mine and we were at this point where we're like going back from seeing, uh, I think it was Marble Mountain or something, or some kind of shrine. And, you know, we're both hangry. We're like ready to kill each other. There's like Vietnamese cars driving past you, almost hitting you and honking. And um, and we can't find anywhere to eat. And we stop. And this guy, this young guy, like looks out the door. He sees us kind of looking around. He sees we're tourists and then he just sort of walks up a block and we see that there's a lady selling bon mis and he she makes him a bon mi and he st- he stands there eating it like as an advertisement and he just sort of gestures to us with the banh mi in the air like hey there's banh mis and those turned out to be the best banh mis i've had all trip and the people that gave us the sandwiches, like, they didn't speak English. They brought out, like, a little tea kettle, gave us some tea, gave us, like, little seats. And it was really amazing.
0: Yeah, I love it. It actually reminds me of my trip to Nepal just a few months ago. I was walking by this shop that had a ton of locals standing outside, and I had no idea what they were selling. And even though I couldn't speak Nepalese... And a lot of the, the people there couldn't speak English, they were basically, they just saw my interest, and they were just encouraging me to get a cup of what turned out to be something similar to a, a type of, I don't even know what it was, honestly. <laughs> it was some kind of drink. It wasn't chai, but it was, it was so delicious. It was amazing. And I knew it was going to be good, even though I didn't know what it was, because I saw the amount of locals standing in front of that shop. And I think that's travel tip you know, kind of Mecca is if you see a bunch of locals eating it and lining up for it, you know, it's going to be good.
1: Yeah. Just do it. Just eat it. Yeah.
0: And speaking of being able to connect with cultures that you normally wouldn't last month, I was in Athens, Greece, and I got a little bit tired of eating Greek food because I was there for so long. (laughs) I was there for over a month, even though Greek food is amazing. And I just decided to walk into this random restaurant called Baghdad. And I didn't even know Baghdad was the capital of Iraq. I didn't know. I've never had Iraqi food, but I saw they had this rice dish with raisins and lamb, and it was the most incredible thing I've had. It was tasty and amazing. And now I had this connection to Iraq, you know, to you know, to Iraqi people. If I ever meet someone, uh, or if I ever travel through there, instead of thinking of iraq as the iraq war i would think of it as oh that's where i can get this amazing rice dish
1: yeah and you can make that connection with that person and instantly i mean there's not a person on earth who won't light up when you tell them that you really like the food from their country
0: yeah except for filipino people who have the worst food (laughs) anywhere (laughs)
1: <laughs> but um, it's funny
0: is um i, think, I don't
1: know pan see this kind of good it's
0: okay it's like an it's a s- average noodle dish
1: i like i like that little egg thing on it
0: the um what with the chicken fetus inside
1: no <laughs> no uh it's uh maybe i don't know if i'm saying it right. it's like clear noodles and there's egg on it anyway
0: no but pansit is good and Pen-sid lumpia is good. is good which is Egg rolls, but those are both Chinese dishes that I think Filipino like Filipino people also eat.
1: Yes, yes. Well, actually, so I know I know how to make adobo. It was one of my go to dishes when I was in college and like didn't know how to cook. And adobo. What
0: what is adobo for everyone?
1: It's super easy. It's just uh, some chicken and some potatoes. And the way that I was taught it was chicken potatoes, but you can pretty much throw any vegetable you want in there. Um, and then you kind of uh, stew it together with uh, some vinegar and some soy sauce and I think some like lemon juice. And I'm sure I'm missing maybe some other things, but that's basically it. So you just put it all into like a wok and, and boil it and you have a one pot meal and it's good.
0: You know, I haven't tasted your adobo, so I can't say anything about it. But in general, to me, vinegar, especially white vinegar, is not a seasoning and I think that if you made that exact dish, instead of using vinegar, you used like curry powder or anything else, it would be 10 times better.
1: Maybe. Tomato sauce. I don't know. know. You'll have to take that up with like a Filipina grandma.
0: Oh, they're going to. I bet you I've lost all my Filipino listeners. But it's funny to me that like there's a lot of countries that have good food, but the people there, they won't brag about it. So if you talk to like a German person or a Swedish person, they're not going to say, oh, we have the best food in the world. You know, a lot of times it's just like, ah, it's just normal food. But every Filipino person I've ever talked to, they rave that they have amazing food. And at best, it is edible.
1: It's, maybe we just don't know how to appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's just different, like a, like a different taste, you know. I'm sure they love it, but yeah, let us know. Let us know in the comments if you love Filipino food and if you're Filipino.
1: Well, so the only, the one last thing is I'm actually, I'm thinking about Anthony Bourdain. And I remember in the Philippines episode, um, he went, because I love seafood. I live for seafood. And um, the the Filipino food that I'm familiar with did not have a lot of it, uh, besides like those little fried fish, which are good. But in that episode, um, he went to different regions and there was like, uh, crab there was just different um, especially seafood dishes that are Filipino that I had no idea existed and I remember somewhere in the episode his host was like the reason that a lot of this food doesn't get out of the Philippines is because there's so many cultures that you just like it's just it's too many things so you kind of kind of you know have your key dishes that don't include this stuff but if you go to like some remote island in the Philippines you'll have this whole other amazing dish that you can't get anywhere else so i don't know maybe we just need to go to a remote island in the philippines
0: (laughs) you know what i am down to go to remote island in the philippines because it's so beautiful and i will give it another chance another chance you know i was only there for three two three weeks and maybe it was just the places i ate maybe it was the jolly bee that i defaulted to oh but i'll give it another shot but um this is a good segue to our first fan question for uh, this special episode. We have Matthias Houtenhoff, who I assume is German. And he asks, Some questions step back from traveling after some years to be able to create deeper relations when settling down in one place. Do you feel any need to do so? You want to answer this before we bring on... Uh,
1: Anthony? You're giving me the easiest question. <laughs>
0: yeah. What do you think?
1: Um, I was being sarcastic. Um, yeah, that's a good... That is an excellent question. Um, it's For me, it's something um, I'm still figuring out myself, obviously. Um, I think most people in the nomad community, they do want those deeper relationships. Um, and at least from my experience, they are harder to, um, to maintain. And they are, they can be, it's not that they're harder to form. Actually, I've come out with incredible friends and incredible people who've already, uh, hosted me in their home country. So you have these high highs and low lows, and you have these very quick, deep friendships and deep relationships. But at the end of the day, logistically speaking, like romantically, if you meet someone and you're at the same place for a month, and then you're kind of both going your separate ways, I mean, it's very hard, if not impossible, to make a relationship work that way because you need time to get to know each other. You know, people who spend time apart who are successful usually have known each other first for quite a while. Um, So that is something, I think, at least for me, I don't know if Johnny's going to have a different take. Um, I think that while you're kind of hopping around... Sure, it's possible, but I think really the friendships is what is what gets solidified and, uh, and really what kind of comes through. And then something romantic is probably, for me, it's happened when I've been in places for, you know, a considerable amount of time. So, yeah, but I mean, just like with anything, it's sort of like, if people have the same interests as you and if they like you, then you find a way to make it work.
0: I love it. I actually kind of read this question a bit differently. Where I, I thought of it more as how, like how we feel, kind of like being um, like after we travel around for so long, being away from home, and oh. you know having that you know that feeling of of kind of you know a place to kind of like have a deeper connection to a place. I like that you brought up the friends and the relationships part of it uh, because that's also super important. And I think maybe. It's one of those things where, you know, people, different types of, of nomads, different types of people, you know, you know, maybe even men and women kind of think of it a little bit differently. Where relationships with, you know, close friends, relationships with someone in your life might be more important for a lot of people than a relationship to the actual city itself. Uh, so I, I, I love that answer. Uh, and actually, uh, this is a good time to take a listen to our last clip with Anthony Bourdain, where he talks about it. How do you maintain
2: a normal life at all, traveling so much? Because you're, you're never home. For 30 years of my life, I was a chef and a cook, which meant I woke up early in the morning. I worked in kitchens with a, with a bunch of other dysfunctional, uh, sort of marginal characters uh, for 12 or 14 hours a day. Uh, then went out and hung out with... I didn't know any normal people. I, I, I worked holidays. I, I worked weekends. Like most working cooks in chess do. Yeah. So even though I'm traveling over 200 days a year, um, I'm probably leading a more normal, stable life than, than I did as a, as a cook and, a, and, a, and as a chef. I try in my own way to c- create some kind of stability and normal and, and, and normalcy uh, in my life. And, and on balance, uh, I think I have, certainly compared to the way I lived the first 80% of my life. What's a regular day like at home when you're not on the road? Um, uh, if at all possible, favorite thing to do: sit around in my pajamas with my seven-year-old daughter, watching cartoons, cook her, uh, cook her lunch, cook her dinner, um, do nothing. That would be uh, that would be a best case scenario.
0: So I think it's kind of a bit funny to hear Anthony say that his life as a traveling, you know, pretty much a nomad chef, celebrity chef was more normal than his normal life back home before you started doing this. And in a lot of ways, I feel it's similar to my situation where when I had a nine to five job, even though I had, I guess, a stable life in that sense, I was living in one location. I had, you know, normal friends. I had normal, like a normal work schedule. I didn't really feel like my authentic self. I first didn't realize even who I was, you know, and that's why I would go through all these like weird stages of (laughs) doing you know, like looking back, it was, you know, things that weren't really me. They weren't really my authentic self. I was probably searching for what that was. Um and now that I have this crazy life of traveling and living out of Airbnbs and you know and doing, you know, kind of this nomad life, in some ways it's actually more real and genuine and stable than Trying to go to a nightclub on Saturday night and wear crazy clothes that I normally wouldn't wear, you know, and use stupid pickup lines that I read in a book the week before or, you know, buy alcohol that I didn't even like drinking or just to be someone or look like someone uh, that I thought I should be, even though that wasn't really me.
1: Yeah, I think I can really relate to that. And it's a common refrain that I've heard From so many digital nomads um that's why for me it's like oh my god i found my people um it's that uh, it was the life you know you have the nine to five and i and it's funny because especially if you have like a job that's quote unquote a cool job and you live in a cool city and, and you have amazing friends and The friends actually shouldn't even be a part of this wrap up because the friends are always amazing. Um, But it's if you want something different, um, you know, it's like you feel guilty because I have all of this. How could I want something else? How could I want to give it up? Or at least for me, I definitely kind of felt that way. But I always had this calling to do something like this. And thankfully, the first, the first step, the, uh, what is it, gateway drug, <laughs> was Anthony Bourdain, and then kind of seeing the rise of digital nomadism, um, I was like, okay, wow, this is possible, and it just became inevitability, oh my god, I was just really drawn to it, and being here, it just feels right, and it feels more right, this decision to travel and to explore the world and to do something different feels more right and more conventional than sitting behind a desk nine to five. And I'm a firm believer that we never know what's going to happen you know, maybe you go back and you find and rediscover your love for what you were already doing, which is a huge thing in itself. Most people don't take the time to do that. Um, or maybe you immerse yourself full time in being a digital nomad, or maybe you do something in between. But the great thing is, is that what I've discovered on this journey is that it's really up to you and that the first step is the most difficult.
0: Yeah, I, I Definitely agree with that and realize that, you know what, maybe even like those, those friends I had back home, even though they're great people, they might be on a different path than I am where they could be a hundred percent happy having stability in their life. Their priority might be having children, you know, or buying a house or, you know, advancing their career. And it doesn't mean that they're not, you know, great friends. It might just mean I want something different. and. I think that i I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't be happy if I had a great normal life that other people would consider great, you know, if I had a great corporate job, you know and I drove a nice you know brand new mercedes you know and had a big house and I had you know a kind of normal white picket fence life and I'm sure I would be happy in many ways. you know I would love to have a family and kids and have the stability, uh, but at the same time. I know for sure that just because that's the normal path or other people's paths, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the right timing for me. I think maybe I still want those things, but I kind of want it at a, in a different way and I want it a little bit later in my life and I want it kind of on my terms versus saying, okay, by by the time I'm 30, I need to have a house, wife, two kids.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's I mean, there's really so many different ways to do things and to live life. And I think uh, especially, you know, having been brought up in a city and having spent my early childhood years here in Ukraine. It's really, you know, you're a kid, but you're like taking the bus and then you're running to the museum and then you're doing this and then you're doing that. And I think a lot of same thing in the U.S., uh, you know, kids who grow up in New York, the few kids that actually grow up in New York, you live that same life and it sort of opens the door to doing things differently. Um, And I feel like once you kind of open yourself to that, you can't close it. You can't you can't go back. And it's not. And I totally agree. It's not about like the white pick and fence being right and then or like digital nomads being right. It's about the fact that like you really there's no right way to do things and to label something like right or wrong is not like a good way to look at things.
0: Yeah, so uh, I guess I'm curious what would what is your favorite thing to do? after like let's say you do a lot of traveling like a big trip and you finally get home like what what is your ideal day or a few days look like
1: um that's a tough question because i'm still on my trip and i'm not ready to go home yet (laughs) but right now um i think i would want to have my mom make me a rice pilaf that she makes um with uh lamb it's like a dish originally from Mongolia, but it's been like, we've kind of brought it in to the Eastern European side. Um, And uh, I don't know, hang out with my cat and of course, see my friends. Um, I'm actually super lucky because uh, a lot of my close friends have done the same thing. So they're kind of rooting me on this journey and they're super supportive. Yeah, I don't know, just do regular stuff. Maybe... Maybe if I'm in California, go get an In-N-Out burger, animal style, with a chocolate milkshake. And some tacos, for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All in one meal, I like it. Yes. That <laughs> is uh, exactly what I would do too. Uh, Mexican food, In-N-Out, and, and just chilling out at, at home with some friends. Um, my mom has already actually asked me what I want her to cook for when I get back to San Francisco in two months from now. And I told her, I want you to make me your legendary curry chicken, mm. which is probably actually very similar ingredients to the uh, adobo that you <laughs> that you cook. <laughs> it just uses curry uh, instead of vinegar, which I, I personally like better. Mm. Uh, and I asked her to saute me some broccoli with garlic, which doesn't sound like something that hard to do, but you'd be surprised how few places in the world you can just get like a huge portion of broccoli.
1: I mean, honestly, it's like like Anthony said, it's the it's our job to not mess up the ingredients, and I feel like the simplest dishes are the best. And I mean, moms always obviously make the best food, so
0: I love it. Uh, so before we get on to the rest of the Q and A's, uh, I just want to take a moment to celebrate Anthony Bourdain's life. I personally am sad that he's gone, but I'm not sad in a sense where. I feel like he's lived such an amazing, incredible life that he's seen more things, done more things, experienced, you know, more cultures, tasted more amazing food than most people will do in a hundred lifetimes. And because of that, I feel like he's lived such an extraordinary life that it's sad that for whatever reason he felt the need to, you know, to leave this, this life in this earth. But I'm not sad for the amount of time he spent on, the, on on this planet because I think that even with my lifestyle, you know, it would take me two or three of these, these lives to be able to, to experience half of what he has. Any closing thoughts?
1: Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, I, you've kind of took the words out of my mouth. It's really, he meant so much to so many people and it just, it sounds so contrived as it's coming out of my mouth, but there, I can't think of anything else that's really true. And he just, he really, I think, did something that no one before him was able to do. So it makes, I'm really grateful to have experienced, um, you know, to have had this person who invited me to experience the world, who invited me, you know, to all of these places and who also, you know, showed, um, showed what it is like to have respect for other cultures and to really uh, be a mindful traveler and to be a traveler that's not just trying to take away, but maybe also, you know, giving back in some way, um, just, just in a sense of like your presence and, and being, and being there, being in a different country as a student, not just as, you know, oh, hey, I've come to see how like these people live. Um, so it's, it's very sad, um, I feel like I'm saying goodbye to him with this podcast, um, but I'm really happy. I'm happy to have had kind of this type of influence in my life, and and I think you're right. He's really, he's really lived, and man, like very few people on the history of the world have lived the way he's lived. So I mean, I don't know if I had like a beer, I would drink it to Anthony right now. <laughs>
0: Well, we do have uh, some fresh berries and some water, so <laughs> cheers to uh, I his, don't know if Anthony would life. approve. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll grab a beer, we'll some wine or beer later. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, How to Choose the Perfect Niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week, and remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.